Genesis chapter 7, verse 23 is where we're going to read this one verse of Scripture. And I want to talk on this thought tonight. Are you in the ark? Are you in the ark? I want to use this one verse of Scripture to kind of get us into our subject and into our message, but we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7, looking at some different Scriptures. They're all on your handout. They're not going to be on the screen. They're just the main points. But Genesis chapter 7 In verse 23, it will be on the screen, it's also on your handout, let's look at it. So he, referring to God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Now notice this, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. It's good to be in the ark. Amen? We know that God told Noah to build an ark because he was going to send rain and flood the earth. Up until now, Noah and everyone living at that time had never seen rain. And according to commentators and scholars, the nearest body of water was probably 500 miles away. But Noah built an ark by faith. All he had to go on was what God said. And the reality is when it comes to us living for God, serving Jesus, all we have to go on is the Word of God and we have to take it by faith. The reality is when it comes to Jesus Christ coming back, all we have to go on is faith. Amen? When it comes to Jesus dying on a cross, rising from the grave, we have to take it by faith. It was no different for Noah. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to send rain. I'm going to send a flood. Noah, I need you to build a boat. He had to respond in faith. In Genesis chapter 7, God tells Noah seven days before the rain ever begins to fall to get into the ark with his family and Noah obeys. We see God still extending grace and leaving the door open so people can get into the ark if they decide to. And as a result of his obedience, Noah and his family were spared from God's judgment. But think about this. There were no storm clouds in the sky when God told them to get into the ark. Think about that. The sun's still shining. There's no raindrops falling when God said get into the ark. But Noah and his family obeyed God by faith. For seven days they sat there with all of the animals before the floodwaters ever came on the earth. It must have been a trying time. It must have been a faith trying time. God, I'm supposed to get into this boat and simply wait, believing that rain is going to fall. But when the rains began to fall and the ark began to rise, I'm sure they were glad to be in the boat. Amen? But think for a moment how terrible it must have been for all of those who were outside of the ark. For 120 years, Noah had preached and he had warned the people of God's judgment. 
But they laughed, they mocked, they scoffed, they ridiculed. But now Noah, he's safe and secure in the ark. And they're being swept away under the waters of judgment. As the rain began to fall, they probably began to beat on the door wanting to get in, but Noah couldn't let them in because God had shut the door and there was no longer a door of grace. There was no longer an opportunity. And now they're being destroyed because they failed to heed God's warning. Tonight I want to look at Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7. I want to focus on the ark and how it represents Jesus Christ. You see, that ark, that boat represents, it is a type of Jesus. And when we are in Him, He protects us from the judgment of God that is to come. Because here's the thing, there is another judgment coming. Amen? And so I want to give you four things tonight. Number one, God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. Genesis 6 verse 7 says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. Genesis 6 13, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Genesis 7 and verse 4. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. Genesis 7, verse 10 through 12. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. These verses demonstrate that God had had enough of man's sin and wickedness, and so He sent the flood as judgment. The flood demonstrates that even though God is patient, eventually His patience comes to an end and His judgment must come. Hear me. I talked about this weeks ago. God can't overlook sin forever. Sin sooner or later has to be judged because God is holy and God is righteous. In Genesis 6, we read that because of man's continual wickedness and rebellion, God was going to send the flood as judgment. And in Genesis 7, the flood comes just as God told Noah. Hear me, God does what He says He's going to do. God means what He says, He says what He means. And when God says He's going to send judgment, then God does exactly as He said He's going to do. And just as He sent a flood to judge the world in Noah's day, He's going to send judgment to the earth one more time. The flood is a historical fact. It's not make-believe. It's not a fairy tale. It is something that took place one time in history and judgment is coming one more time. We don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. God's judgment is coming to this earth. You see, God is not a man that He should lie. If God says it, He means it. The Bible warns us in the New Testament that judgment's coming again, doesn't it? The earth is going to be destroyed one more time. Let's look at some scripture. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Sounds pretty plain, doesn't it? 
The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. It lets us know how it's going to be destroyed. Not a flood because after the flood, God put a rainbow in the sign saying, Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will not destroy this world by flood next time. So we're going to have a fire the next time. 2 Peter 3 verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurting along. Let me ask you, are you looking forward to the day of God's coming? Are you looking forward to the day that Jesus steps out on the clouds of glory and we meet Him in the air? Are you looking forward to the day the trumpet sounds and we can meet Him in the air? But here's the thing. You've got to be in the ark. You've got to be in Christ Jesus if you want to hear that trumpet sound. Amen? On that day, He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. I'm looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Because this earth and these heavens are going to pass away. They're going to burn up. This world will not last by. Because God's judgment is coming. Just as it came during the days of Noah, it's coming again. Revelation 21 verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the old heaven and the old earth had, what? Disappeared. And there was no more sea. That's God's judgment. Just like God sent the flood, God's going to send judgment again in our day. I believe I said this last week. We could be the generation that sees the return of Jesus. But with His return comes His judgment. The time of tribulation upon this earth. A time that there's never been before. In fact, Jesus said this, it would be as it was in the days of Noah when He comes. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. And Jesus said it's going to be that way again. It's going to be business as usual. We see that taking place in our society. No one's thinking about God. No one's looking for God. In fact, I would dare say that many in our world today, in fact, many Christians aren't looking for God. Let's just be honest. Many people sitting on church pews week after week after week, they're not looking for God. They're not looking for Jesus' return. They're not looking for Jesus to come back. We act like we're here to stay. But hear me, Jesus is coming back and we're going to be taken out of this world and His judgment is coming. I'm not here to preach doom and gloom, but Jesus is coming and this world will pass away. He told Noah, hey, I'm sending the flood. He's telling us I'm going to send the fire. I'm going to destroy it. We need to live righteously and holy and soberly and godly in these days. We need to warn people Jesus is coming. Amen. We see violence and corruption and wickedness is increasing and abounding in our society. And that's what was taking place in the days of Noah when God sent the flood. I believe the church is about to leave this world. 
Listen, I don't think anything else prophetically has to take place before we leave. Nothing else has to line up. No other I's have to be dotted and no other T's have to be crossed for us to leave this world. His return is imminent, meaning we can leave before we leave this place tonight. And yet we sit here like it could be another hundred years. We carry on like He's never coming back. And we're going to be called unaware. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when I come again. Business as usual. Doing day after day what we've always done the days before. We need to get our eyes fixed on heaven. Because at any moment, we could go up. Amen. I want you to see something here about the flood. God's judgment, it came suddenly and swiftly. Now I know Noah had been preaching and warning everybody for 120 years, but when the flood came, it was swift and it was sudden. Look at chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, notice this, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. That day started out just like any other day. The sun shining, probably a nice blue sky, but suddenly waters from underneath and waters from above began to fall. Notice there it talks about the windows of heaven. That literally means the floodgates of heaven were opened. I picture in my mind, this wasn't just a little trinkle that began to fall, but a downpour. This wasn't a few drops that you could dodge and get out the way of. It was a torrential rain. And for 40 days and 40 nights, it poured. But it says waters from the ground I believe earthquakes begin to shake. Think about our map when you begin to look at the continents and how things are spread out and divided and we have oceans and seas. I believe maybe volcanic eruptions took place or earthquakes took place and the ground began to tremble and waters began to burst up from the ground. Listen, there was no escaping it. It was sudden and it was swift. And can I tell you, when the church leaves this world and God begins to send judgment, it's going to be sudden and it's going to be swift. He's coming back like a thief in the night and then judgment's going to come. Oh, I know it talks about tribulation, three and a half years of peace, but I promise you, when judgment comes, it's going to be swift and it's going to be sudden. Yes, there will be three and a half years of peace during tribulation, but when God begins to pour out judgment, it will be sudden and it will be swift. Because we've studied the book of Revelation and we've seen what happens when the vials and the trumpets begin to blow. What happens? It's one thing right on top of the other. And it's total annihilation 
and devastation. People looking for death and they can't find it. Wanting to die, but they can't die. Wanting to commit suicide, but they can't. You're in bad shape when you're wanting to die and can't find death. God's future judgment is going to be swift and sudden. His judgment's coming. The flood proves it. He sent judgment one time, it's coming again. But here's the second thing I want us to learn. God's judgment doesn't come without warning. You see, this is the grace of God. His judgment doesn't come without warning. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That's what Peter tells us. That Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he was not only a worker building the boat, he was a witness for God. He lived and walked with God. He, by his behavior, he showed, hey, I, I, I'm walking with God. He, he was committed in his work for God. But he preached and told people, God is sending judgment. But there is a way out. He witnessed while he worked. Because God didn't want people to perish. Listen, it is never God's intent for anybody to perish. You see, that's why Peter talks about people will scoff at His coming. We say Jesus is coming, but people scoff and ridicule you. Where's His coming? But here's the thing. A day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. Because God wants to warn people. There's still time to get on board. There's still time to get in the ark. The door's still open, and you can come. Noah, he witnessed for God. And here's the thing, like Noah, we should witness for God. Like Noah, we should warn people that, hey, judgment is coming. We should live right and walk with God, and by our conduct and our character, point people to Christ. They should see something else that they want. But here's the thing, not only in our conduct and character, in our conversation, we should tell people about Jesus. And there is a way of escape. Amen? But thirdly, let's move on. God's judgment can be escaped. The story of the flood shows us that before He brings judgment, God graciously provides a means of escape from His judgment. The ark that Noah built was a place of safety and security. It was a place of protection from the storm that was raging on the outside. But notice this. The ark wasn't Noah's idea, it was God's. Noah didn't come up with the idea of the boat. Noah didn't think, I, I think I'll go out and build a big old boat today. God come up with the idea. The ark was God's initiative. And can I just say this? Salvation isn't man's idea. It's God's idea. God revealed to Noah the ark. God designed it and gave the directions to Noah on how to build it. You see, no human plan would have saved Noah or anybody else. There was no means of escape except the means that God provided. The ark was the only thing sufficient to get Noah or anybody else through the flood. And can I tell you, the ark representing Jesus is the only thing that's going to get anybody through what God's about to send. Amen? The ark Noah built, it was a real boat. But it also pictures Jesus Christ. 
and the salvation that He provides. I want you to notice a few things with me how the ark speaks of Jesus. I want you to notice, first of all, its substance. It, it, the Bible talks about it was made of go, gopher wood. Many scholars believe this was cypress. It's almost indestructible. It's durable and it will not rot. If you've ever had a chest, a lot of times they're made out of cypress wood. People put cypress in their closets. Why? Because of its durability and its uh, characteristics of not being able to, uh, to uh, abstain from moisture and rot, things of that nature. Wood is also a picture of humanity in the Bible. This wood pictures the humanity of Jesus. Just as those trees had to be cut down to build Noah's ark, Jesus had to be cut down to provide a place of sanctuary for you and me. Think about the agony and the glory of Calvary and what He had to go through for you and me. Wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. Think about its security. After the ark was built, it was covered with pitch. This was like tar. The word is used 70 other times in the Old Testament and each time it's translated atonement. It literally means a covering. The wood alone, in other words, the wood alone wouldn't keep the water out so there had to be a covering. Think about it. The word atonement brings to mind the shedding of blood. You see, it's the... Think about this. It's not the humanity of Jesus or the life of Jesus that saves us. It's His death and the shedding of His blood that saves us. You see, He didn't come just to give us a good example. He came to die. Because it's in His death and the shedding of His blood and His resurrection that gives us atonement and redemption. It's the blood that seals us and keeps us safe from the wrath of God. Think about the size of the ark. The ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It could contain 3 million cubic feet. It was plenty big enough to hold all who would desire to enter. This is a picture of the sufficiency of Jesus. Hear me, He's able to save any who will come to Him. There's room at the cross for anybody who will come to Jesus. Amen. Oh, Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Think about its shape. It wasn't shaped like a normal boat. In fact, it looked more like a floating coffin. It was like a rectangle. This speaks to us of the fact that Jesus died for us and when we receive Him, we die to the world. When Noah entered the ark, he was identifying with death. When we come to Jesus, we're identifying with His death on the cross and for our death to sin. Think about that. Let's look at its structure. Look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 16. It's not in your notes, but just flip there if you have your Bible. Genesis 6, verse 16. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. The ark had one door, one window, and three stories. These elements are a picture of salvation. The one door was set low enough so that anybody could enter. The window was high so that everybody would have to look up. The three stories remind us that salvation is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It also reminds us that when a person is saved, their whole person, body, soul, and spirit is changed. Think about its sustenance. Look at chapter 6, verse 21. 
And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Noah was saved by the ship, but he was also sustained and satisfied in the ship. He had everything in the ark that he would need to survive the flood. You see, in Christ, we find satisfaction for the soul. He's bread to the hungry and water to the thirsty. Those who come to Him will find that He's everything we need to be satisfied. Can't you see that Jesus is a picture of the ark? Or that the ark is a picture of Jesus? Well, let's talk about its schedule. Go to Genesis chapter 8 verse 4. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. The ark came to rest on the 17th day of the 7th month of the Hebrew calendar. You might say, well, preacher, why is that so important? The 7th month is when the Passover takes place. Jesus died as they were offering the Passover on the 14th day of the month. He was raised three days later, the 17th day of the month. The ark rested on the same day Jesus would rise again from the dead. Let's look at one more thing about the ark. Let's look about its supply. The name Noah, it means rest. When Noah entered the ark, he found rest, safety, and salvation. Being in the ark saved his life, and believing in God saved his soul. Can you see how the ark pictures Jesus? It's amazing, isn't it? The ark represents Christ. And if you can see how the ark represents Jesus, you've got to understand this. The wrath of God is about to be poured out on this world in which we live. And there's only one place you can find safety and salvation, and that's in Christ. You've got to be in the ark if you want to find salvation. If you want to find rest, if you want to find security, you've got to be in the ark, and His name is Jesus. You see, we don't have an ark like Noah did, but we've got a man named Jesus. And when you're in Him, you're safe and secure and you find redemption. Amen? He died on the cross for our sins and He rose again on the third day. Listen, people in our world, they want to go after this religion and they want to chase after this God. But listen, if they're ever going to be saved, they have to receive Jesus as their Savior. Amen? You might say, preacher, it sounds kind of narrow. It is narrow. He's the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In Acts 4, 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no under name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. That's how you escape judgment, through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is our ark of safety, but here's the thing. You have to accept His invitation. You see... Noah had to accept God's invitation into the ark. Look at Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark. It's not a command, but an invitation. Come into the ark. That's the first time the word come shows up in the Bible, but it's not the last time. You go from Genesis to Revelation, and the invitation is still the same. Come. That's how you enter the ark. God extends the invitation. Come. And you accept the invitation. And you find safety for your soul. Amen. How many is glad tonight you've accepted the invitation that God gave? 
that you've entered the ark because God... And here's the thing. God was in the ark bidding Noah, come. Noah, I'm in here waiting. Just come. Hallelujah. You see, this invitation was open to everyone in Noah's day. Noah's preaching. And guess what? The invitation is still open today. Still open today. In fact, for seven days, Noah's sitting on the ark and the door still open. And I believe had anybody walked on board, God would have saved them just like Noah and his family. Because it's not God's will that people perish. You see, the door's still open today and God's still calling out to people, Come. Look at Isaiah 1.18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Matthew 11.28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation 22.17. The Spirit and bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Throughout the Bible, it's Come. We also see that the ark of Jesus offers security and safety, just safety, just like the ark of just like the ark Noah was on. Look at Genesis seven verse sixteen. It says, "So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and notice, and the Lord shut him in." When God called Noah, he did the Lord's voice. He entered the ark and found safety and security. We're told that when it came time for the floods to come, God Himself shut Him in. I want you to notice a few things here. Notice that God didn't say, go into the ark. God said, come into the ark. He didn't say, go into the ark and I'll be watching you. He said, come into the ark and I'll be with you. Aren't you glad that God's with us? That's the difference, isn't it? Look at Genesis 8, 16. It says, go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Here God says, go out of the ark. Do you see that? God said, come in here with me at the beginning. And He was still in there at the end. God didn't abandon Noah. God was there all along. You see, Noah was as safe in that ark as God was. If the ark had gone down, God would have had to go down too. Think about that. God was there in the beginning. He was there through the dark days of wrath. And He was there when they landed on the mountains of a new day. God was there all along. God hadn't forsaken Noah. God hadn't abandoned him. And can I tell you, God hadn't abandoned you. God shut them in. God controlled the door. He determined who went in and who stayed in. He sealed them in and they were safe there until they arrived through their destination. Guess what? The floodwaters couldn't get in. And the reality is, Noah and his family couldn't get out. They were sealed in. And the Bible tells us according to Ephesians 4.30 that we've been sealed until the day of redemption. Noah was kept safe in the ark by the power of God. And according to 1 Peter 1.5, we have been kept by the power of God. 
What are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. You've made it this far on your journey because God has shut you in. You face the storms and the problems and all the things you've gone through in life is because God has called you into the ark and God's been there all along. That's how you've made it. Amen? I believe that God can keep us and sustain us until the very end. Amen? That we're in the ark. We're in Christ. And in Him we're safe and we're secure. I've been through some troubled waters. Amen? How about you? And I believe that God has kept me this far and God will keep me the rest of the way. That what God has begun in me, He will perform it and perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in Christ. Amen? Our only hope is in Jesus. Look at Genesis chapter 7 verse 23 again. He destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and burning the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Only those in the ark were alive. Outside of Christ, we perish. But in Christ, we live forever. That's the only way. One final thing I want us to notice tonight. God's judgment is complete. God's judgment is complete. Chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So He destroyed all living things that which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air, they were destroyed from the earth. Nothing escaped God's judgment except Noah and his family and the animals that were in the ark. Every other person and every other animal perished. And here's the thing. They had as much opportunity to escape as Noah did, but they rejected God's warning and it cost them their lives. God did what He said He was going to do. He destroyed everything. These verses say all flesh died. Everything that had the breath of life in it. Everything on dry land, it died. God destroyed all living things. God didn't send partial judgment. It was complete, total, utter judgment. He didn't leave anything undone. And when He sends judgment again, He's not going to leave anything undone. And that leads me to say this, I believe the flood was a worldwide flood. I don't believe it was some localized flood just in Noah's area. And here's why I say that. If it were simply a local flood, God could have told Noah simply to move. Go to some other area. Also, the waters were above the mountains 15 cubits, approximately 24 feet above the mountains. That's how high the water rose. So I believe it speaks of a global flood. The entire earth was flooded. Also, fossils of sea life have been found in different parts of the world. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, there have been fossils of sea life under feet of ice in the Himalayas. I mean, so, it had to be a global flood to have 
fossils all over the world of sea life. So a local flood doesn't make sense. And here's the thing. If it was a local flood, that means the, the, fire, the judgment of fire is going to be, have to be local. And that don't make sense. That means it's only going to hit a certain area and everybody else is going to get spared. So it doesn't make sense from a biblical standpoint. I believe it was a worldwide thing. And so God sent complete and total judgment in Noah's day. And He's going to do it again in the future. And we don't know the time, but it's coming. But it's coming. So as I close tonight and wrap things up, Noah survived because he believed God entered the ark by faith. He could have doubted the integrity and ability of the ark. He could have failed to believe the promises of God. He could have stayed outside, and if he had, he would have died just like the rest. But when God's invitation came to him, Noah entered the ark by faith, and he was saved. And it tells us there again in verse 23 that those who were with him in the ark remained alive. I ask you this tonight, very simple question. Are you in the ark? Are you in Christ? The only way to escape what's coming is to be in Christ. He is our ark of safety. He is our ark of security. Listen, our good work won't help us. Our religious deeds won't help us. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can find refuge and salvation from the judgment ahead. And notice this, on the ark there was only one door. Only one way in. Guess what? According to John 10, 9, Jesus is the door. And He said that if you enter by Me, you will be saved. So I ask you tonight, which side of the door are you on? Which side of the door are you on? Noah was on the inside looking out. And when the rain began to fall, fall all those people were on the outside trying to look on but it was too late now think about Judas for a moment the man who kissed the door of heaven and still ended up in hell there's going to be a lot of church people like that who have gotten close to the door of heaven and they're going to still end up in hell because when judgment comes it it matters which side of the door you're on. And there's going to be a lot of people who've rubbed up against the door of Jesus, but they've never entered in. A lot of people like Judas that have made acquaintances kind of with the door, come to church and even felt His presence and His conviction, but have never accepted the invitation. going to have to go through His judgment. Are you in the ark? Are you in the ark? I can't answer that question for you. I have to answer it for myself. You have to answer it for yourself. But judgment is coming. I don't want to be here when it comes. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.